Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Pinellas County is unique in a lot of ways, but here's one you might not know. It's voted for the winner in every presidential election since 1980, except for the disputed election of 2000. Four years ago, Donald Trump won the county by about 5,000 votes. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. That's why the campaigns of Joe Biden and Donald Trump are paying close attention to Pinellas County this year. And the county is a microcosm of how the U.S. is dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and its economic aftermath. To talk about that, joining us via Zoom, our Kaiser Health News reporter, Phil Galewitz. His recent story with Margot Snipe of the Tampa Bay Times looked at how the pandemic could affect how the county swings this year. Also joining us is Tara Newsom. She's director of the Center for Civic Learning and Community Engagement at St. Petersburg College. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for having us. Phil, I'll start with you. Uh, what made you and Marco Snipe of the Times uh, want to focus on Pinellas for this, this piece? Sure. Well, with the election, obviously Florida, we knew is the, is the biggest swing state. And we were looking for places in Florida that had voted in for Obama back in, in the last two elections of uh, 2012 and 2008. But then in 2016, voted in President Trump. And we thought that may show places where there's a you know, there is a swing. And there was only a handful of counties in Florida that have done that. Uh, St. Lucie County over on the Atlantic coast was one, uh, Monroe County was another, and a small county up on the Panhandle. And that was it, just four counties out of 67, which had voted for Obama, then voted for Trump. So that helped us narrow, narrow down. Um, and of those counties, obviously the largest would be Pinellas, which is a population, as you know, nearly a million people. So Tara, building on that, can you break down for us the political makeup of Pinellas and uh, why it makes it such a, a strong indicator in, in presidential elections? Well, as you, as you opened, Bradley, the historic nature of Pinellas County and as a predictor of presidential election outcomes uh, is not only paid attention to by state uh, politicos, but also by the nation. But when you look at the voter demographic in Pinellas County, you see a very even number of Republicans to Democrats to no party affiliate. And that kind of moderation of voter breakdown evens out our voting outcomes. And uh, people who live in or near Pinellas know that the geography of the county also shows the, the political affinities in the northern part of the county. Uh, places like Palm Harbor, Republican candidates tend to do well, while in the south you have St. Petersburg, the county's biggest city and arguably uh, the most liberal spot in the county. Are there uh, racial or economic factors in parts of the county that are also clues to, to how it votes? Well, certainly, when you look at the way that our county has developed and in, in you flagged it, allowing for the more, more northern part of our county to be developed and be more affluent, it leans more Republican, whereas we have our southern part of our county uh, having a more Democratic contingency. So you really can see the consequences of, of how our community was developed and, and the planning of our community and how it plays out systemically over generations in our voting outcomes. 
Phil, in your story, you reported that according to recent surveys, the uh, coronavirus pandemic is less of a concern for Republicans and uh, independent voters in Pinellas County and in Florida in general. Why is that? Yeah, um, I mean, we had a feeling about that going in. But when the numbers, the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is sort of the publisher of KHN, uh, did a survey and they found that Democrat voters in Florida were seven times more likely to say the coronavirus was the most important issue in the election than Republicans. We were just shocked it was that big a difference because obviously the coronavirus doesn't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. You're going to get sick one way or the other. Your family's going to get sick. And it doesn't matter. But you know, we can speculate that you know Republicans are more likely to believe the president Trump when he's saying you know that he believes that we're rounding the curve on coronavirus and that we're close to a vaccine and it's not as bad as some people make it out to be. The other day he said you know for most young people it's not really an issue. It's only an issue for older people, which a lot of the facts uh, really belie that. Democrats are typically seeing health issues are close to them, and they're much more likely to say, no, the coronavirus, this is out of control, once in a century pandemic, has now killed 200,000 Americans and over 14,000 people in Florida, and the numbers continue to climb. It, there's no bigger issue. Obviously, Republicans say their biggest issue is the economy, which obviously has been impacted by the coronavirus. Um, but Democrats will say, hey, if we don't get the coronavirus, taken care of and people keep dying, uh, we can't fix the economy. So uh, I think it has, has a lot to do with, do we believe the Trump administration that they, one, have a handle on the virus, and two, that they've done a very good job in uh, helping the public health get through this crisis. Democrats uh, don't really believe that for the most part. They believe that we're still in a crisis. So we're taping the show on Friday afternoon, and this comes on the heels of Uh, President Trump holding a rally in Jacksonville on Thursday night where he praised uh, Governor Ron DeSantis' coronavirus response. And just this afternoon on Friday, uh, we're learning that uh, that Governor DeSantis has lifted the remaining um, restrictions on restaurants and other businesses in terms of their operating capacity. And we should also mention that he made that announcement in St. Petersburg. So, Phil, is, is, is that something that, you know, looking at this ideological political split in coronavirus as an issue, reopening the state, accelerating that reopening, is that something that could ultimately uh, be favorable for Republicans and for President Trump? Republicans certainly hope so. And certainly the Trump campaign team believes that if we can appear like the country has opened, that can show that it can appear that we've gotten past the coronavirus and that, you know, we're open for business and that everything feels like we're back to February or back to January before the pandemic hit, then people may be in a better mood to reelect the incumbent. So a lot of people are really uh, skeptical that are we really taking these steps for public health reasons or are we reopening so much now because of to create this appearance that we've gotten past the coronavirus. A lot of scientists say that the issue is still out there, that people still need to take precautions that People shouldn't be going to gatherings with hundreds and hundreds of people. Now, we still need to take precautions because the virus hasn't gone away. So the question people have to really ask themselves is, is it just a coincidence that things are really reopening here um, just as people are now voting? Or is it really the, the public health that, that's why things are opening? You know, you can imagine people can have different views on this. Tara, what's your view on that? Well, I wanted to make sure that we pay attention to the fact that Pinellas County is at the mouth of the I-4 corridor. 
And that becomes important not only because of its connection to that whole stretch of voters across the band of our state, but it makes a difference because it's how people come in and out of our area. And that becomes very much important when you think about the Midwestern influence that happens in the I-4 corridor. And I think that's going to become relevant to what Phil is talking about, about the why people will vote the way that they do. Will they be incentivized by this reopening or will they have some Midwestern kind of sensibilities and be able to see through some of the political nature of these decisions as it relates to COVID? And so that kind of moderation is what we see in Pinellas County. That's why we see an even number of Republicans to Democrats to no party affiliate. There is this constant influx of other uh, communities that come to the state of Florida, usually from a Midwestern kind of slant. And that's, those sensibilities, I think, come through in, in voters. Phil, your story showed that about 25% of Pinellas voters are age 65 or older. You suggest that this group may be more affected by the coronavirus pandemic than others. Of course, we know the virus does have uh, more of an effect on older people. As you talk to voters for this piece, were there other particularly pandemic-related concerns that, that came out among this group of voters? Well, it's interesting that one, you would, yes, believe that um, elderly people are going to be more affected because they've been told to sort of shudder in place and have been told, even as things go open, that it's in your best interest to stay away from others. Uh, you know, don't go visit the grandkids. Uh, don't go visit the relatives. Don't hang out with your neighbors. But actually, in a number of surveys that have come out over the last several weeks, it's really split between how seniors feel, particularly in Florida, in terms of Trump versus Biden. Uh, so that's one election that's really, really right now very even. And um, it's not sure right now how much the coronavirus will impact elderly versus will impact uh, younger age groups. Tara? You know, I think that COVID is a unbelievably influential issue in this election, but it's not just because of the virus and how the virus has, has dramatically affected those that have actually had it. Besides the economic impact, the revelation and amplification of healthcare disparities, it has raised, I think, older Americans, their hair on the back of their necks on uh, healthcare. And I think they're actually paying more attention to issues on healthcare in this election. And so although COVID might be impacting them personally from sheltering in, in place or the loss of life of a family member or friend, they're also now paying greater attention to the fact that long haulers, those that have been affected by COVID, who may end up having this as a condition for the rest of their lives, maybe not lose their life, but have it as a, a condition, might end up uh, recharacterizing them as a pre-existing condition. And then all of a sudden, that makes, I think, the elderly population wonder, are they going to have a harder time accessing healthcare? Will that affect their social security? Will all of that, all of those pieces become relevant so that the older American now is, is looking at, as, at COVID as an amplification of other issues that maybe they weren't paying as much of attention to because of how impactful the actual shelter in place has been on most of our lives. Phil, how do we see that playing out with the presidential campaigns? Do we see them, you know, amplifying some of these other healthcare related issues beyond the pandemic? Absolutely. Uh, the president came out with his America First Health Plan or Health Vision, it should be more, where he came out with a litany of uh, different health ideas that he said his plan was to you know, make health care more affordable and give people more choices and more freedom. A lot of people say by coming out with that, it basically emphasized the fact that president's number one priority back uh, four years ago was that he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare, which has not happened, even though he had a Republican-controlled House and Senate four years. Um, he told voters that was going to be his number one priority that he would be doing on day one would be repealing and replacing Obamacare. 
He has not done that. He has said, though, that because he has repealed the individual mandate part of Obamacare, that basically makes Obamacare nil and void, which, of course, is not accurate because um, over 20 million Americans have gotten health care and still have health care uh, via Obamacare, many of them through the expansion of Medicaid, which has not happened in Florida, but has happened in 38 other states. And then the, the Obamacare marketplaces, which have helped millions of people get government subsidized health care. So Obamacare still is, is there, is still the law of the land. And the question will be is um, with President Trump saying, I've got rid of Obamacare, even though the facts state that that's not true, will people believe the president or will people be looking at the facts and say, you promised we'd get rid of Obamacare, you haven't done that. Um, so the president has, 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 the other thing he came out with yesterday was he plans to send a $200 discount card to all Medicare enrollees to help them better afford their prescription drugs. And where the billions of dollars where that would come from has not been helped. And then the fact that the president is doing this just as people are filling out their absentee ballots certainly raises the question of, is this a last ditch election effort to try to get elderly to vote for him, or is this really his policy? It certainly raises questions that he's certainly doing a lot on healthcare, trying to do a lot on healthcare now, when people will say, where was this last year, the year before that, or the year before that? To add to Phil's point, uh, the disingenuous nature of this, all one has to look at is the Supreme Court and the continuing case before the Supreme Court to dismantle Obamacare, which the president is continuing to support. But the unfortunate part is that we need to make sure our seniors understand that so that they can see through this kind of policy. Speaking of drug prices, Governor Ron DeSantis had this proposal to uh, import medicines from Canada, and that's something that the president has touted also. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. And today we're talking about Pinellas County's role in the 2020 presidential election with Kaiser Health News reporter Phil Gelwitz and St. Petersburg College professor Tara Newsom. We'll take a short break here and resume our conversation in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic could be a deciding factor in this election for many voters in Pinellas County with reporter Phil Galewitz of Kaiser Health News and St. Petersburg College professor Tara Newsom. Uh, I want to go back to uh, the economy for a minute. Unemployment in Florida right now is uh, 11.8%. That's higher than the rate in Pinellas. It's 9.8%. That's still a, a very large number. But Tara, I'll start with you on this. Is uh, local employment, the local economy going to be a factor for undecided voters in Pinellas? Well, I'm, I'm not just a director of the Center for Civic Learning at St. Pete College. I'm a faculty member there. And one of the things that we're seeing with our students right now is that the lack of the ability and transparency to access unemployment compensation has been life-changing. And so when not only were they not only able to access unemployment compensation, this illusory idea that the economy is, is moving forward is really uh, not true. And we have students that are hurting, students that are not having access to uh, affordable housing, to sustainable uh, jobs, and um, are losing really that pipeline to posterity. And so I, I think that in our little home of St. Petersburg, Florida, we certainly see that the unemployment issue is one of the most pivotal to voting in this election. Phil, any thoughts on that? Every election, it's, it's 
it's always the economy. You know, this economy is stupid as obviously goes back to James Carville electing President Clinton in 92. And I can't think of an election since then that the economy hasn't been a huge issue. And even though we have the coronavirus as, as a twin issue, certainly the economy and having millions of people out of work now has got to be something that's, that's weighing on, on people. And, and whether or not you still have a job or whether you're working less or whether now you have more fears of losing the job now, certainly be weighing on people. And typically um, when people fear that they're not going to be able to find a job or they fear they may lose a job, uh, certainly doesn't help any incumbent in trying to win re-election. Tara, I'll go back to you. Pinellas County uh, isn't the only part of, of the state or the country that's seeing a growth. And you talked a little bit about this at the beginning of, of our interview. Uh, voters who have registered as independents, or as we call them here in Florida, NPAs, no party affiliation. When you look demographically among uh, age or other factors in Pinellas and across the state, how do, uh, how do NPA voters break down? No party affiliates actually run the gamut of the generational scope. And I think that's really in part because what we're seeing, especially in areas like Tampa Bay, that we have, you know, really good access to what used to be the St. Pete Times, now the Tampa Bay Times. Believe it or not, I think the really hearty access to legitimate media sources that help us understand issues, uh, educate voters and allow them to be more issue oriented, which means they de-align from a party uh, alliance. So when you have that de-alignment and you become a no party affiliate, it really isn't necessarily just one generational demographic. It runs the gamut. And I think that's encouraging for voters. Phil, did you encounter many NPA voters as you were uh, reporting your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, With my colleague at the Tampa Bay Times, I guess what we found basically was most people have their votes locked in. The people who are, you know, who are Democrats and who voted for Hillary Clinton in the last election well more than nine out of 10 of them, you know, are sticking with the Democrats and planning to vote for Biden. And those people who voted for Trump in 2016, well over 90% of them plan to vote for president again. What we found is even though Pinellas is a swing county, there are very few swing voters. And that and that's the challenge. I mean, we're talking about it's in the single digits. So we're trying to find that three, four, five people out of 100 who really swing between the parties is that most people are entrenched there. If you voted for Trump, you can vote for Trump. If you're a Democrat, you can vote for Biden. It was very hard to find people who had voted for Trump to say, yes, I voted for Trump, but right now either I'm definitely going to vote for Biden or it was hard to find people who would even question or even raise doubts. I mean, we did find a couple people, but it was really hard to find Trump voters in 2016 who would acknowledge and say, particularly who would say on the record that they have doubts about it or question that they made a mistake in voting for the president um, back then and, and it's a question if they will vote for him again. A limited field of voters for either candidate, either side to, to persuade here. Tara, how are you seeing that play out from your perspective? Well, I think that the idea that the election has been baked in is a common one among us that follow the election. And I think that although Pinellas County at least has a roughly even amount of no party affiliate voters as they do Democrats and Republicans, I think what Phil's trying to say is of those 200,000 that are no party affiliate, they actually swing one way or the other. And what I'm seeing, at least on the college campuses, is that that's actually really true. And although we want to look at COVID as a deciding factor of how people may vote, it's actually really all the issues that have been existing prior to COVID that are just become much more 
to use a, the same word amplified, you know, if you didn't have access to the economy before, it's even worse. If you didn't have access to education before, it's even worse. If you, if you were part of the technological desert and didn't have high-speed internet, that's even worse now. And so what I'm really seeing is that students, although I want to think that COVID and other factors might contribute to some critical thinking of how they vote, they're coming into the election cycle with the baked-in ideas that they had prior to. And Tara, as you mentioned, Pinellas is part of the I-4 corridor. That's seen traditionally as where most of the swing voters in Florida are. But why are the other counties in the Tampa Bay region, and even broader than that, uh, on along the I-4 corridor, don't have that same kind of swing nature that, uh, that Pinellas does? I think it has a lot to do with generational partisanshipness, okay, and state economies, economies that are very uh, static, and the generational party allegiance is very practiced. In Pinellas County, as the mouth of that I-4 corridor, we have a lot more changes in our population. We talked earlier about the influx of individuals coming into Pinellas County. And although we are a dense, a dense county, meaning we don't have the influx of population, you know, 500,000 because we're, we're packed in here, we do have an influx of ideas and, and thinking. And so that influx keeps us from going either staying R or staying D, like Hillsborough County is predominantly Democrat. It's predominantly Democrat and has been for decades. And part of that has a lot to do with its economy, its workforce, whereas Pasco County being more Republican, that has that goes back generations. And that has a lot to do with wealth accumulation and the older demographic that lives there. Pinellas County went from being an older county to being a young county. We're an educated, thoughtful county. And so I think that that makes us a little unique in the fact that at times when we're more candidate centered um, and we're issue centered, we might switch our allegiance. Uh, it's very telling that we went from voting for President Obama to then voting for President Trump. Um, although the razor thin margin in Pinellas County had a lot to do with Jill Stein and uh, the libertarian, you know, it also had a lot to do with wanting change, that our economy had stabilized under Obama and individuals were being thoughtful and wanting to take a risk. And these other counties that surround Pinellas and in the I-4 corridor, they're, they're much more um, committed to their partisan generational viewpoint. Phil, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree exactly with what you just said. Um, it also, as you mentioned, Pinellas County mirrored the state of Florida in that the 2016 election, uh, Trump won by, I think it was a little bit under 1% of the vote. So it was really narrow. So when we talk about only a half, a half maybe five, six, seven percent of voters in the county are swinging, that makes the difference. So because it's such a razor thin margin, the election really turns to turnout. You know, a tiny change in turnout can have a, you know, a two, three percent change in turnout will really make the difference. You know, will the African-American population turn out, which dropped. Obviously, during the Obama elections, African-American turnout was at record highs. It was still very high for Hillary Clinton, but just not as high. That little difference added to, as you mentioned, to the third party candidates taking one and two percent of the vote really swung the election. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that thin margin really makes a difference. Voter turnout will be huge. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, the others, just so you know, there Hillsborough County as well as Osceola County on the I-4 corridor, if you look over the last 30 or 40 years, they are among 
handful of counties that have swung. While Pinellas County has swung maybe more, Hillsborough and Osceola as, uh, shows you on this I-4 corridor we have, as well as Flagler County in Florida, are in that number of counties around the country that have basically picked the right winner more than most counties across the country. Tara, you mentioned uh, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate in uh, 2016, also Gary Johnson, who was the uh, Libertarian candidate that year. Polling so far shows that third party candidates aren't getting the level of support that they got four years ago. So subtracting third party support, when you look at a, a Biden versus Trump race in 2020 in Pinellas County, as mail-in uh, voters are already casting their ballots as, as we head toward election day, which, uh, which candidate do you think has, has the advantage going into this final stretch? I don't think we should ever discount third party candidates in the sense of how they impact the election, meaning, you know, Jill Stein was less than 1%. I think it was in Pinellas County, it was like 0.93%. And uh, Gary Johnson was somewhere beneath 2%. And, and certainly the differential between Trump and Clinton, that would have made up the difference. But as it relates to third party candidates this election, I think that people have learned a lesson, especially Floridians. You know, we saw, most of us have lived through 2000 when Bush v. Gore occurred and Ralph Nader threw a wrench into the election with his Green Party uh, candidacy. And I think that many Floridians were a little burned by the third parties in the last election and, and possibly regret their vote, not because of the issues aren't important, but because how it landed the presidency and what that outcome of that presidency has meant. If I haven't heard once, I've heard at least uh, two or three times, oh, I, I wasn't sure about Trump. I wasn't sure about Hillary Clinton. So I put my, put my vote into a third party candidate. I wish I hadn't done that. I don't think Floridians are going to make that mistake again. I think this time you're going to see people making their allegiance. Uh, and I think it's going to be more value-based than we think. And when I say more value-based than I think, I think in the 2016 election, the economy was strong. We had stability. People were willing to take a risk with Donald Trump. I think that we do not have that same stability. I think people are voting their values now more than the economy. Not to say the economy isn't important, but I think that those individuals that were going to go ahead with a third party candidate, they're going to go ahead and vote their value and, and pick one of the two that matches usually the most intimate parts of our lives, our religion, um, our social views. And, and I think it would be it would not behoove me to make a prediction on that account. Uh, but I do think that you need to be looking at the exit polls and what people talk about why they voted. I think that's going to be really telling. It'll tell us about the next election as well, because it could be that we're going through a critical re-election right now in which people are realigning their political allegiance, not by the parties as we once knew them, but as what the parties are becoming. That's Tara Newsom. She's director of the Center for Civic Learning and Community Engagement at St. Petersburg College. We also heard from Kaiser Health News reporter Phil Galewitz. His recent story with Margot Snipe of the Tampa Bay Times looked at how the pandemic could affect Pinellas County in the 2020 presidential election. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. And after our conversation, Tara Newsom had some other thoughts she wanted to share about Pinellas County voters. One of the important factors that we need to consider this election, even more so than Pinellas County being a purple county and a purple state, is the actual impact of women in our county. There are 4.2% more women in Pinellas County than men. And when you contextualize those numbers with the eminent confirmation hearing of Amy Coney Barrett and what her confirmation may mean to deregulation, healthcare access, and even specifically women reproductive rights, we need to watch turnout numbers of women even more than party turnout. 
See, if women increase voter turnout in 2020 by only even a few percentage points, they can absolutely determine the outcome of this election. So we need to be considering not only how many women come out, but how many Republican women or how many Democratic women turn out. And some interesting factors that we should consider is Kamala Harris, who's exciting the African-American community, reproductive rights, and how religion plays a role in public policy. These kind of issues can have a dramatic effect on women actually coming out to vote. That was St. Petersburg College professor Tara Newsom. Today's show was produced by Denora Prevost. If you missed part of the conversation or want to listen again, you can find it at WUSFnews.org. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters. Hope you'll join us again next week.